Coming Sunday, the service will be in Afrikaans. Uh, seeing there's no evening service on Sunday, uh, this morning will be in English, as we announced on Sunday evening past. Uh, simply for the sake of uh, people who either do not understand Afrikaans or whose Afrikaans is not very good. So, I'm continuing then the series on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. I started this last Sunday in the morning and we'll be going through this for the next couple of Sundays. The seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and this morning it'll be on the word love. John 19, if you have your Bible, John 19, verse 26 and 27. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we draw near to you, humbly, because what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take thought of him, that you care for him? Who are we, Lord, creatures of dust, that we should appear before the Most High? But we do come to you this morning and pray that the Lion of Judah would roar that the God of grace, the God of all creation, the God of the universe would speak. And that our hearts may be humbled even more as we leave this building this morning, realizing who you are and who we are, having full confidence, not in ourselves, but in the authority of your word. We pray that you would indeed speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you, you know as well as I do that the whole world is looking for love. They're looking for it in the wrong place, but we see them looking for love, yearning for love, searching for love, and you can hear it if you do, you can put on Ereskia, or you can put on whatever radio station. And you'll hear all the songs that's about love. They won't find love outside of Christ because God is love and Christ is the expression of that love. Christ has come to show us. Jesus came to show us the love of God when He died on that cross. And as we see on this table this morning, the broken bread and the red fruit of the vine. We see the blood of Jesus that flowed on a cross in his whole life actually and in his death he illustrates the love of God and we see it in a passage this is just one passage we can go to many passages this morning many different verses of the Bible but look at this in John 19 verse 26 when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother woman Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. So this is very easy and very simple. We're going to look at two characters this morning. The first one is Mary and the second one is John. Okay, so Mary, number one. Uh, someone showed me a video some years back, a little video on WhatsApp of a man who 
who wears glasses, but these are special glasses. He can look at someone and he can see their hurt. So it's not real, it's obviously computer edited, but he looks at someone and he can see what they're going through, anyone. And so for instance, he's sitting in a restaurant, think McDonald's, and he sees someone standing at the counter and he looks at this man and then on the lens of his own glasses, he sees these words, I'm going through a divorce. And then he looks at a woman in the street and he sees written on the lens of, the, of his own glasses, I'm busy dying of cancer. And so he can see people suffering and they're hurt. Now Jesus, this is not computer edited, Jesus can really see that. Jesus really sees the heart of man. Jesus really sees the sufferings and the trials. He knows everyone. And this is what he does in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother. He looks at this woman. He looks at Mary and he sees something. He looks at a woman whose husband has died. Joseph died. Jesus' stepfather. Joseph is dead. He looks at Mary and here's Mary now suffering. Her husband died some time ago. We don't know exactly when. But now her oldest son is hanging on a cross. He's nailed to a cross. He's being murdered by his own people. And she has to see this. He sees Mary. He sees her tears. He sees her suffering. He sees her anguish. He sees her sorrow. He sees her pain. He sees a sword ran through her soul. He sees a sword, a sword, piercing through her soul, as it was prophesied in Luke 2, verse 35. A sword will go through your soul, Mary. He sees this woman, this woman who carried him for nine months, this woman who nursed him. He sees this woman who has a reputation of a loose woman, a sexually immoral woman, but she wasn't. That she's innocent. She wasn't sexually immoral, but that's her reputation because she got pregnant before she was married. But Jesus, as we know, is born of a virgin. He sees this woman who submitted herself to God's will because when the angel appeared and said to her, you're going to have this baby, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God, she said, let it be with me as my Lord has spoken. He sees a woman who is submissive to the Word of God, obedient to the Word of God, because when, when her, her family member Elizabeth met Mary, Elizabeth said to her, Blessed is she who believed the Word that was spoken to her. Jesus looks at Mary and He sees a humble woman, a woman who's nothing, a woman who's nobody. This young, probably teenage girl, uh, when she got pregnant. But He sees this young girl, uh, and now an older woman, but he, he remembers that woman and sees this humble woman who sang the praises of her king. Remember the song in Luke chapter 1 where Mary, Mary thanked God. He sees a poor woman because there was no place for her in the hotel, for her and Joseph in the inn. And, and Jesus had to be born in a manger or laid in a manger after he was born. Uh, he sees a poor woman who could not afford to sacrifice a lamb. So in Luke chapter 2, they sacrifice two pigeons. They're poor. He sees a woman who did not understand everything about the Christ, about the Messiah, about the special one, the anointed one. She didn't understand everything about her son Jesus, but she believed. He sees this woman who, who treasured these things in her heart. Yet it must gelees. Nee, paar keer in Lukas 2, sy het die dinge in haar hart gekoester. O, het sy nie verstaan. 
But she treasured and she stood in awe and, and in wonder about the son she gave birth to. Jesus looks at, the, at this woman, Mary, while he's hanging on a cross. And he sees a woman who had to, shortly after she gave birth, she had to run away. She had to flee. She had to go to another country, to Egypt, because the king, Herod, wanted to kill her baby boy. Jesus looks at Mary and he sees a woman who was obedient to the law because the law said that after the woman gives birth, she has to come to the temple and bring a sacrifice. And Mary did that. He sees a loyal woman. Here's the woman who gave birth to him. Here's the woman who was with Jesus from the very beginning. And she's with Jesus to the very end, standing at the cross where her son is nailed to a tree. Let me ask you a question. What does Jesus see when he looks at you? He looked at Mary. He saw Mary. When Jesus looks at you, what does he see? Does he see a broken sinner? Does he see someone who's confused? Someone who's filled with doubt? Someone who is anxious? Someone who maybe is depressed? Someone who's, who's sad? You're going through pain. You're suffering. Going through some trial. What does Jesus see? Jesus knows you inside out. Jesus knows everything about you. Jesus knows the hearts of all people, says John 2, verse 24 and 25. And yet, Jesus, this Jesus, knowing all your secrets, your deepest secrets, and perhaps even, we'd have to say, your darkest secrets. And yet, Jesus' heart bursts with love to you. Bursting with love to sinners. And I know that. Because I can just read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And I can see what Jesus did for suffering people, for poor sinners, for sick people, for hurting people, for dying people. His care, His compassion, His love. And you see this especially on the cross. Here's Jesus nailed to a cross. His head covered in blood because of that crown of thorns, the spikes pushing into his skull, his body painted red with his own blood, the very cross stained with his blood, the ground beneath him, his hands, his feet, and the ground beneath the cross, red with the blood of the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus is suffering worse than Mary is suffering. And even to put this like, or in this way, that Mary's suffering just adds to Jesus' suffering. Seeing, seeing this woman weep, seeing this woman, her eyes red, her face red with tears, and it makes the sufferings of Jesus worse. And yet, Jesus does not think of himself. Jesus thinks of Mary. Jesus thinks of her. He's concerned for her. And this is a selfless love. This is a pure love. This is a sincere love. This is an upright love. Jesus didn't have to leave his heavenly glory. Jesus didn't have to come to earth to become like a slave, a servant to save us. But he wanted to. Why? 
out of love. He wanted to because He wants us to be with Him, as He says in John 17, verse 24. Now, it's not that we are attractive. It's not that we are lovely. It's not that we are these wonderful people and He just can't withstand us or to say, oh, I just can't, can't hold back. I have to love you. No, there's nothing good in us. And yet Jesus decided, I will be incomplete without my people. Like a head is incomplete without a body. We are the body. He is the head. Like a bridegroom is incomplete without a bride. Like a shepherd is not a shepherd without sheep. He says that in Ephesians 1 verse 23. We are the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. He decided, I will not keep be complete without you. So let that comfort you. If you're going through a hard time, you're going through difficult times, you're going through trials, you're going through suffering, let that comfort you when it feels to you, but the Lord is far away. When it feels to you, He's not answering my prayers. He's not hearing my prayers. Do not doubt His love. He showed His love. You and I, we deserve hell. We deserve the judgment of God for our sins. And yet Jesus gave His life for you. He gave, gave His final breath for you. He gave the very last drop of blood for you and I. So answer this question to yourself. If you start doubting God's love, would Jesus suffer for you on a cruel cross? And now in your moment of crisis, now in your moment of need, will He forget you? Will Jesus give His life for you when you were still lost in your sins? And now that you're His child, He'll forget you? His love is less? He, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Jesus in His divine nature, Jesus as God, loves you with an eternal love, with a never-ending love, with an infinite love. John 13 verse 1, Jesus loved His own and He loved them to the end. Jesus loved you with an everlasting love, says Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Who can understand the breadth, the length, the height and the depth of the love of God? Of the love of Christ. So that is Christ's love for you. Jesus as God. John Flavel, the Puritan preacher in the 1600s, said it's like the sun ray, the, uh, the sunbeams, the sun rays. Now we're, I've got the sun shining here directly onto the pulpit, but if I take a magnifying glass, and put it between the sunlight and the pulpit, it'll concentrate the sun rays, the sun beams. And John Flavel says that's what the love of Jesus is like for his children. It's concentrated. It's focused. And then take the love of Jesus not only as God, but the love of Jesus as man. Jesus as a man, as the son of Mary, he says in verse 26, he saw his mother. That means Jesus is a human being. Yes, he's God, but he's also human. He's, he's, he's truly man. And that love for you and I is full of compassion. 
It's full of tenderness. It's full of mercy. Jesus understands your suffering. Jesus suffered physically. He was slapped. He was beaten with, pe with, with people's fists. Nails were driven through his hands and through his feet. He was whipped, scourged, flogged. They pulled out his beard and he suffocated. He had Asphyxiation is the big word, the medical word. While hanging on a cross, drowning in his own blood, suffocating in his own blood, and the, the moisture filling his lungs. Jesus suffered emotionally. He was mocked. They scoffed at him. They railed at him. They spat on him. He was rejected by his own creatures. He was rejected by his own people. Israel, he was rejected by not only his enemies, but his family. His own brothers didn't believe in him. And he was rejected by his friends, denied by Peter, betrayed by Judas, and the rest of the disciples all ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus suffered spiritually. You can imagine the attack of Satan. You can imagine the attack of demons and what they would, would tempt him to while he's hanging on a cross. He suffered spiritually. He called out, and this I will preach on Sunday, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The full anger, the full judgment, the wrath of God, his Father upon him. He suffered spiritually by bearing the guilt of our sin, the weight of our sin crushed him on that cross. And as he hung there, the punishment for our sins. Now question, draw, draw the line from there to yourself in 2022. Are you suffering physically through chronic pain or perhaps through illness? Are you suffering emotionally? People rejecting you, friends rejecting you. You're being bullied, perhaps at work. Maybe a loved one has died. Maybe you feel depressed. Are you suffering spiritually? Temptation is so strong. It's like the devil will not let down. And he keeps on coming at you and it feels like you're going to crack under the pressure. Maybe you're being persecuted at work. Persecuted at university. Persecuted at school. People mocking you and teasing you and pushing you aside because you're a Christian and you're following Jesus. Suffering spiritually because it feels like the power of sin is too great for you. This weight upon your shoulders. Feel like you're in the bonds of Satan still. Or perhaps you're praying and your prayers aren't being answered. And you've been praying for a long time. Suffering spiritually. And to you I wish to say, Jesus understands. Jesus has compassion. Jesus sympathizes with you. Hate medalaya, hate sympathy, hate empathy. Actually, actually, your suffering and that that battle going on inside of you, and perhaps even the sin you're battling with, that draws the heart of Christ to you. Just like just like someone who is very ill, when the when if there's a good doctor. And the doctor sees the suffering of this ill person, of this patient. It stirs up the compassion in the doctor's heart. And so Christ's compassion and his love for you is stirred up 
when he sees your suffering, when he sees the war and the struggle inside. Because isn't he a doctor? Didn't the doctor come for those who are ill? Jesus himself said that. And it was like this for Mary. So here's Mary, Jesus hanging on a cross, and he sees Mary's suffering. And the fact that Jesus calls her woman doesn't take away from that. Some people might think that's disrespectful. He tells her woman. He says that in John 2 also, woman. So actually, that's a very respectful way of speaking to his mother. That's like my friend, Seth Myers, um, and his children, when they speak to their mother, they say, yes, ma'am. It's very respectful. Jesus says, woman. But there's another reason Jesus says woman and not mother. Because Mary now has to understand that mother-son relationship no longer exists. Although he was born of the Virgin Mary, Mary has to understand he is her Lord. And so we do not pay undue respect to Mary. We do not worship Mary. We do not pray through Mary. We do not say that Mary is a co-redemptrix like the Roman Catholic Church. Some of them say that she's like, she's like a fellow saviour. She helps Jesus to save us. We do not say that. We do not believe that. We do not see Mary as a mediator, a go-between, between us and, and God, between us and Christ. It's like we have to talk to Mary and she'll talk to Jesus and Jesus will talk to the Father. No. We go directly to the Father because of what Christ has done. There's one mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me and... No and, no Mary, except through me. Full stop. There is one Savior, and that is Christ. When Jesus died, I'll pre preach this next Sunday morning. He said, or oh no, next Sunday afternoon, it is finished. This full bring, it's done. Jesus worked a complete salvation. He does not need the help of Mary or anyone else. And yet, we do not throw away Mary. Mary was very privileged to be the mother of our Savior. To be the one to bring the Savior into this world. God used her as the channel, as the instrument. So Jesus didn't forget her. Jesus has a heart for widows. You can just read um, in Psalm 146, for instance, or Psalm 68. And you'll see the, the heart that God has for widows. And here's a widow Here's a woman who's lost her husband and Jesus feels for her. Even while he's suffering, he feels for his mother. He's tender, he has compassion. And now he's going to make provision for her. In verse 26, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Mom or woman, Mary, John will take care of you. John will look after you when I am gone. And he still has that heart for widows. He has that heart for widows who are in this church this morning. Are you a widow? Your husband died? Jesus cares for you. Jesus cares for you just like God cares for the birds. How does he care for you? Well, we'll answer that 
And uh, the second point. The second character is John. So the first one was Mary, number two, John. Some years ago, a student at the seminary, at the Afrikaans Baptist Seminary, said of another student, he said, you know, I can just see that other student walking outside on the lawn. And I love that guy. It's like it stirs up the love in my heart when I say, I love that brother so much. That is what Jesus felt like when he looked at John. In verse 26, you see, Jesus saw his mother, but he didn't only see his mother. Who did he see? The disciple whom he loved. Wow. And that's John. And we know that from John 21. Because in John, just if you flip over a page or two, John 21 verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. And then you can go to verse 24 of John 21. This is the disciple who, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. That's John. <laughs> so, so Jesus sees this disciple. Remember, John is his best friend. Of all the friends Jesus had, no friend was better than John. Uh, even when, when Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper, when they sat at the table and he broke the bread and gave the cup, it says John sat next to Jesus. John wanted to be with Jesus, and John even laid his head against Jesus' chest. They're really good friends. John is part of the, the inner three, the inner circle. So when Jesus takes his, uh, his top disciples with him, he always takes Peter, James, and John. But of Peter, James, and John, there's one that stands out, and it's not Peter, it's John. Although Peter was the leader, but John, this disciple whom Jesus loved. Why is he called the disciple whom Jesus loved? Is, is he better than the other disciples? That Jesus favored him? Is he Witbroeki? That's not why. John was just an, an ordinary sinner like you and I. John was a broken man. John actually is, is, is a rough man. I think he's got... Uh, what was? What was Misha? Yeah, Misha. Yeah, from Boomklim. Yeah. And it marks like a ilte. I had gymnastics gedoen. I did gymnastics when I was at school. And so you get these calluses on your hands. John had calluses on his hands. He was a fisherman for goodness sake. These guys pull their nets all day and mend nets all day and every day. So he's a hardened man. He's called with his brother James the son of thunder. Th son of thunder. These guys were zealous. They had passion. But it was misguided. Misguided passion because they want to call fire from heaven and burn up the enemies of Jesus. In Luke 9, he was narrow-minded. If you're not part of our little group, you're not part of Jesus. Hey, you can't follow Jesus. This is exclusive, VIPs only. <laughs> and you see that in John 9. That guy's not part of our group, Jesus. I told him to stop it. John is, um, not pushy. Peter was pushy. Yeah, okay, forward. And, and he's overconfident. Uh, Sean read that in Matthew, where he says, uh, Jesus. Now, there it says the mom asked, but in Mark 10 it says they also said, yes, Jesus. Mom, mom, ask Jesus. Jesus, what? And then they come. Jesus, uh, yes, we agree with my mom. Please, can we sit at your right hand? And your, we want to be right and left of you in the kingdom. And who got the places right and left of Jesus? Two criminals. Two criminals. Hanging on two crosses. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Yes, of course, Jesus. Easy. Easy peasy. 
overconfident John. But Jesus changes this man. He changes him into a humble man. He changes him to, into a loving man. How did this happen? The way it happened was, John was so aware of Jesus' love for him. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. He's so aware that Jesus loves him. He can't even bring himself, when he writes the Gospel of John, he can't even bring himself to write his own name. See, he just calls himself the other disciple. Two places in John, the other disciple. Or the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like he's saying, I can't believe Jesus loves me. The disciple whom Jesus loved. That, that broken man, that messed up man, that man who does stupid things. Jesus loves him. And later on he, underst he understood, he understood, oh, that is why he hung on that cross. It's because of me. It's for my sin. It's for the sin of the world. He wrote the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So this, this deep sense of the love of Jesus, it changed him. It changed him into the apostle of love so that he could write another very famous verse that all of you know. You see this in churches everywhere. You'll see a little piece of material, piece of cloth, and written on that piece of cloth is something that John wrote. God is love. And John then says... Let us love one another. Let us love one another. So why did this happen? It happened because of verse 26. Look at the verse. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. That's why John understood this. That's why he got it, the love of God. He stood at the cross. He stuck to Jesus' side. Yes, I know that John ran away too. It says so in the Gospels, Mark 14, verse 50. All the disciples ran away and fled when Jesus was arrested. But very soon after that, almost, almost immediately after that, John was sorry about what he had done. And he turned back. And it says in John chapter 18, verse 15, John followed Jesus and he went with Jesus where Jesus was on trial where they asked Jesus questions and he was standing in court. And John was there, waiting in the court, unafraid, not with Peter sitting in the fire, at the fire, uh, acting as if he doesn't know Jesus. Hey, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. That's what Peter said. John didn't say that. John was willing to be associated with Jesus. And here he is standing at the cross. Where are the other disciples? Not one of them there. Only John, standing at the cross of his Lord and Savior, his best friend. And so, seeing the peculiar and the special love of Jesus, he just thinks, love begets love. Love, the love of Jesus for John, draws out the love of John for Jesus. And that is why... 
He is the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he also responds with loyal love. I don't know if you knew this. I saw this for the very first time this week. I never saw this in the Bible before. And as I was meditating and praying through this and studying this, I saw it. Who was the very first to see the risen Christ? Who was the very first at the empty tomb? Well, obviously, we know the answer. It was the woman. And the first one of the women to see the risen Jesus was Mary Magdalene. But who was the very first to believe Jesus rose from the dead, even though he did not see Jesus? He believed before he saw. He believed before anyone else. John. John chapter 20 verse 8. He came to the empty tomb in the morning. Mary Magdalene called Peter and him. They ran to the tomb. John got there first before Peter. He outran Peter. He's younger. And then it says, when John walked away, he believed. I think this is a great comfort. This whole episode with John. This is a great comfort to the backslider, to that sheep that has gone astray. Why is it a comfort? It's a comfort because John was a backslider. John left Jesus in the garden alone. John slept in the first place when he should have been praying. And then John ran away. He left Jesus. But when John returned, what did Jesus do? Not a single word. Of rebuke. Jesus didn't say, John, you left me. Is that a friend? You stabbed me in the back. Not a word. Jesus saw the disciple whom he loved. He receives him back with open arms, literally with open arms. And will he not do it for you? Are you a backslider? You've turned away from your Lord. You've sinned against Him. You've gone astray. What does He ask of you? Simply draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Just come. Head hanging, shoulders hanging, ashamed of what you've done. Jesus will receive you. Jesus will receive you. And through the love of Christ, you can be like John. This is very interesting that John became a stronger Christian after going astray than he was ever before. Comes back to Jesus. I know a man like that. This man did something terrible. And he's a Christian. And he repented of his sin. And he came back to his Lord with deep sorrow and with tears for what he had done. He became a stronger Christian than ever before. It's like the shepherd when the sheep keeps on going astray. That one little sheep, that one sheep keeps on walking away from the shepherd. And eventually what does the shepherd do? You know what the shepherd does. He breaks his leg and then he picks that sheep on his shoulders and he carries that sheep for six weeks. 
that sheep never goes astray again. He stays with the shepherd. I want to be like John. I want to be like John. I want to be with Christ to the end. Here he is. It's the end of the life of Jesus. And John is there. At the cross. With Jesus. Now how can you, how can you and I, how can we stay with Jesus? How can we stay close to the cross? We can stay close to the cross by denying ourselves and taking up our cross every day and following Christ. We can stay close to the cross by coming to this table, not once in three months, not once in six months, not once in a, in a month even, but we have it twice in a month where we can sit at this table and remember what Jesus did for us. His blood flowed on a cross. His body was broken for our sins. And we can be reminded of what Jesus did. We can stay close to the cross by sitting under preaching and encouraging your pastor to say, please, sir, we want to see Jesus. Please preach of Jesus to us. Please do what the Apostle Paul did. I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Please preach Christ to us. You can stay close to the cross by confessing your sins daily. And why will God forgive you? We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The cross. And if you stay close by, if you stay close by the shepherd, if you stay close to Jesus, if you stay close to the cross, then something's going to happen in your life. It'll become practical. It'll become practical because you will start hating sin all the more, more and more. The closer you come to Jesus, the closer you stick to the cross, you will hate your sin. You will say, I don't want that. That'll humble you. You won't be a proud person. You'll become a humble person because you know that is what I deserve. Jesus paid for my sin. And you will pursue holiness and you will seek holiness. And if you stick close to the cross... You know what will happen? Your wallet will open. Your purse will open. Because you see, Jesus gave his life. Can I not give my money for the gospel to spread? For missions? You will see the love of Christ if you stick close to him. And then you will love your wife. You'll have a good marriage. You will love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And you will love all Christians that way. Here in his love... That Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we should lay down our lives for the brothers. You'll see, I should love that brother. should love that sister. And their needs, what do they need? Can I not sacrifice? And if you stick close to the cross, the best of all, your love for God will grow. We love, says John himself. In 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because He first loved us. So can you see, can you see how practical the teaching of the cross becomes? Can you see how, how the cross becomes a central focus if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to be a healthy Christian? You cannot be a healthy Christian without the cross. The cross is not something we leave behind once you've been saved, once you've been converted, once you've repented of your sin and trusted Christ, you do not leave the cross behind. The cross is not grade one of the school building. The cross is your whole training, your whole education, your whole Christian life. 
It's something you remember to the day you die. And even in heaven, you will never forget the cross. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals. For you were slain, O Lamb of God, and you purchased us for God with your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is what they sing in heaven. Jesus is the center of heaven. Jesus does not share the stage with Mary. Jesus is at the center of heaven. Jesus is center stage. Now, the, the fact that he says to John in verse 27, then he said to his disciple, Behold, your mother, that does not mean Jesus is the mother of, or, or um, Mary is the mother of us all. That's what the Catholics believe. Mother Mary, 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 mother of God, as they call her. We don't believe that. Why is she called the mother of John? Because John takes her in. John takes her in to care for her. She's a widow. Why did John take her in? Why didn't Jesus ask his brothers? Take care of Mary. Because the brothers of Jesus did not believe. Says John 7 verse 5. I know they believed soon after the resurrection. But Mary needs someone now. She's sad. She's sorrowful. And besides, John is family. I don't know if you knew this. John is a cousin of Jesus. Uh, and we know this if you compare Matthew and Mark and John. You can just, just go to the passage where Jesus is crucified. Right at the end of that passage, you'll see all the names of the woman standing at the cross. And you compare the names. Oh, oh, Salome. She's called here. That's the mother of James and John. Oh, yes, yes, she's called. Oh, the sister of Jesus' his mother. Hmm. Okay. So John is actually taking care of his auntie. And besides, he's the apostle of love. <laughs> he's the disciple whom Jesus loves, and he's the apostle of love, so he'll take really good care of Mary. And he, he, obe he obeys immediately. Immediately, it says in verse 27, from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. How could it not be like that? In the light of the love of Jesus. John sees this, how Christ loves us. He sees the love of Christ caring for his mother. How could John just be indifferent and careless and say, I don't care. Of course he wants to obey Jesus. Actually, actually, verse 27 is not talking about John's love to Jesus. Because you would think that way, you'd say, oh, John is obeying Jesus, he's going to care, care for Mary. This shows he really loves Jesus, he want, wants to do what Jesus tells him to. No, actually, verse 27 tells us about the love of Jesus for Mary through John. And so the Lord wants you to use you in the same way. He wants to use you as an instrument to show his love to others. Listen, this is Good Friday. We can't just talk about the love of Jesus and it stops there. It just drops here on the floor in front of me. It has to get to our hands and feet to say, if Christ loves us, this becomes practical. And it comes through my life to others showing the love of Jesus. 
Just, just one point of application on this, in one direction. Do you have widows in your family? In family in Afrikaans bedoel ek, huisgesin in groter familie. Do you have widows? Then the Bible commands you, in 1 Timothy 5 verse 16, if you have widows in your family, you should take care of them. Either by taking them into your home, by supporting them financially, take care of them. If you don't, then you are not like Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did for his mother. And in all probability, if you do not care for the widows in your family, it's probable you're not even saved. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. If you do not take care of your family, especially the members of your household, and the whole context there is about widows. If you do not do that, you have denied the faith. Faith, you are worse than an unbeliever. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for that. Because God said, you shall honor your father and your mother. And what he meant by that in that context is supporting them financially when they're old. But now the Pharisees say, oh no, this money is for God's work. I can't support my aged parents. Jesus says, you hypocrites. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Listen, true godliness and true spirituality, it's not being mystical. It's not speaking in tongues. True spirituality is not saying, oh, I get goosebumps when we sing that song. And especially if we sing it again and again and again and again and again and again. And when the lights are off and there's smoke and there's colored lights, oh, it's just that. You should watch that testimony on YouTube. Oh, get goosebumps. That's not true spirituality. True spirituality, true godliness is loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And one of the ways you show your love to God and one of the ways you love your neighbor is taking care of your mom when she hasn't got a husband. That's true godliness. That is true religion, says James 1 verse 27. That is true godliness, says 1 Timothy 5 verse 4, is taking care of that widow. And it does not go only for children, believing children and grandchildren. That also goes for the church. So if there are widows in our church and they have no one to take care of them, no family, no Christians in their family who care for them, then the church should take care of that. We read that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we accept, we accept such a person as a spiritual mother. So that's what's going on in verse 27. John, behold your mother. It's like a mom in the faith. And we take care of them. And that's what Jesus organized here. That's what Jesus took care of here with Mary. He needs to take care of Mary. He's got a responsibility. And actually something else is happening. Jesus is obeying the law. He's obeying the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And why is Jesus obeying the Ten Commandments? Because we don't. Jesus did it for us.
And all of us sitting here, without exception, me standing here, all of us at some point in your life, you have not honored your father and mother. Just to take one of the Ten Commandments. Maybe even in your thoughts, where you thought that woman. Jesus honored his parents. Jesus honored his mother here. And he did it for us. And then he died on a cross. Why did Jesus die? For us. For our law breaking. Can I close by asking you this question? Can you see Jesus and the blood streaming down his face? And you simply, and you know it's for your sin. And you know it's out of love for you that he's hanging on that cross. Can you see all of that? And you just shut your heart to the person next to you. You just shut your heart to your mother or your father or whoever else is in need. Sean, Sean had a story like that not long ago. They went out on street evangelism and Sean met a man. And if I remember the facts correctly, Sean... He was so bitter, and was it toward his mother-in-law? He was so bitter, that man could not receive the gospel. He had no room for the gospel in his heart because of bitterness and anger. Is the Lord talking to you this morning? Is the Lord saying to you today, there's someone... And you know that name of that someone. You might even see his face in your mind right now. God is telling you that someone needs your help today. Or that someone, you need to forgive that someone. Who has harmed you, sinned against you, done something against you. And let me ask you again then. Can you see Jesus hanging on a cross and you couldn't care less? Can you see Jesus hanging on a cross? Turn around and walk away unmoved and unchanged. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, we wish to remain close to the cross, close to Jesus. I pray that you would please move us in our hearts and show us where the need is and not make excuses when you show us who, whom to help or the person we should forgive. You made no excuses, Lord Jesus, when you died for sinners and when you died for us. And I pray that the cross would indeed become for us practical Christian living. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.